0: Philosophers in space, 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 space. The avalanche has already started. It is too late for the pebbles to vote. Why? Why was I programmed to feel pain? A true victory is to make your enemies see they were wrong to oppose you in the first place.
1: I think a lot about meteors, the purity of them. Boom, the end, start again. Hello and welcome to Philosophers in Space. This is episode 119. I'm Thomas, that's Aaron. How you doing?
0: Terrible.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What is this?
0: What is going on? Yep. Miserable. Why did anybody think it was a good idea for us to do an entire episode about the humans instead of just only talking about the spiders for three episodes? Whose horrible idea was it to have a whole (laughs) thing about humans? Oh, that's what you're talking about.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sure.
0: Oh, yeah. We're doing. uh, I'm absolutely
1: talking about both. Yeah. We read Ziggy Stardust (laughs) and the Spiders from Mars.
0: Oh, now I just want to listen to that instead of it's talking. A great album. God, so good. Uh, yeah. So, we, uh, for some reason, past me, who's a terrible human being who should be despised by everyone, decided that we would follow the structure of the book and do a spider episode and then do like the human plot line and then tie them together in the end, which means that we have to talk about the lamest yeah. part of the book for an entire episode. Uh, Humans. Okay. You can't even have make sex do. with
1: them. Like, what the heck?
0: Why would you even bother? What is the point? What possible have to, good can come cut that from, from having the sex show. with other humans? <laughs> no, we're leaving it in. Look, Aaron's really into
1: in. Portia. That's the joke. We get yeah, okay. But there's a not, lot of really good Portia, stuff to talk about. You know, not just Bianca, Portia too. Yeah, not just Portia. Every iteration of Portia. Oh yeah, Bianca.
0: Bianca. You know, maybe Fabian.
1: I'm not, I'm not <laughs> closing any doors here. Oh, uh, good stuff. Uh, there, There's a lot of cool stuff that I'm going to try my best to remember that I'm sure Aaron will clarify for this one. Because <laughs> this book is great and you should read it. But if you don't want to, or you already did, or either way, you're going to keep listening, we're going to hop in the exposition zone. You're traveling through another dimension beyond that which is known to podcasters. It is the middle ground between fair use and copyright infringement. Between ordinary fanboying... And meaningful analysis. It is the exposition zone. Okay, so we're not talking spiders. We're talking about uh so after we talked about the AI, uh, we talked about um that how that kind of fused. Um mm-hmm. and that's Kern. And mm-hmm. she becomes like this terrifying, you know, human AI hybrid death satellite. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yep. That, you know what? Pretty that's cool. how I wanna go, actually. Can I just become an orbiting? Well, oh, that's good to know. I was yeah. actually
0: curious to ask where you wanted to be in this particular nightmare, <laughs> if you have to actually exist. Because I know your first answer is I want to jump headfirst into the fire. Yeah, but like saving that ex- answer. Yeah, so you, you you lean towards current satellite of
1: doom. Yeah, it's not bad. I al- also like the idea of just hopping in the cryo freeze right about now and just never mm-hmm. getting out of it. Like just <laughs> I'll hop in the cryo freeze, and you know what? I'll put one condition. I'll be like. Wake me up if and only if they're just pure utopia. Like if you solve all these problems and <laughs> everything if, <is> literally <laughs> everything is great. I don't care how I'm not, you know, I'm not a stickler for the method. I don't care if we're all drugged. I don't care if it's genetic engineering, whatever it is one way or the other. If we get to that point, wake me up. If not, eh. <laughs> I'll be part of the show. I think
0: at that point, I think at that point, the satellite would just program the uh, hedonism box mm. and you just, be in your hedonism AI and it would tell you that you had woken up into the utopia.
1: Right. But in actuality, this uh mm-hmm. death satellite that I'm talking about with Kern mm-hmm. is not a great place because she's kind of doing battle with the AI and she's not she's like kind of going a little insane and can't mm-hmm. can't get control of herself. So that's kind of terrifying actually.
0: Mm-hmm. But the
1: death satellite part is cool. So and one of the reasons mm-hmm. I'm mentioning that she's a death satellite and I I think we didn't mention this last time, mainly, you know, mm-hmm. all the spiders but one cool part of this book that I like is that Kern but we introduced Kern immediately you know and she had the um, the failed attempt to, to do the whole terraforming because of the terrorists from contact all that stuff but mm-hmm. that happened a long time ago and she was actually part of what is kind of known as like the ancient people essentially like that technology is a lot higher it's reverse of what you would think the ancient technology is uh, actually way far more advanced. It's a typical, like, Breath mm-hmm. of the Wild situation or something. And uh, so uh, the reason I bring it up is... Ch- Chariot of
0: the gods if we're the gods, right? Yeah. It's the same. Yeah.
1: The reason I bring it up is um, when some new humans come along, because, I don't know, refugees, I guess, from the Great Earth Wars or something, um, they are looking for a place to, you know, restart humanity or something. And they mm-hmm. believe that this Kearns world is going to be, a, you know, nice terraformed planet that all worked out and there'd be uh, monkey butlers and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. little do they know that didn't work. And because Kern, the satellite is like, you know, doing battle with the AI and all that stuff. Um, the satellite is very protective of this world and doesn't think, and doesn't want anyone to interrupt it until, uh, you know, Kern gets the signal from the mm-hmm. home planet that like it's all worked. Cause the idea is, you know, I think we mentioned this last time. The idea is they evolve you know, according to the virus thingy, and then they get to the point where they can communicate, and they'll respond to the message, and that tells the Kernbot that uh, the, the the planet is ready. And because Kernbot yeah. is a Kernbot, Kern is <laughs> Kernbot is programmed to not let anything happen <laughs> until that happens. So these poor humans, starving humans, are like, please, can we go rest our weary traveling space traveling mm-hmm, heads mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. your planet? And Kernbot uh, 2000, the death satellite, is like, f no. Not only no, but f no, and says like <laughs> no I am going to no room at
0: the inn. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm going to blast the heck out of your little tin can if you don't get out of my Kern's world system, and so that's uh, that's the start of kind of the conflict of this section, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, and. This is a really great example we're going to be talking about today in terms of the way that things can go poorly. Let's We want to remember that, like, Kern Satellite is not just interested in saving what think what it thinks might be its sort of monkeys down on the planet. It also has a deep-seated hatred for human beings that it carries <laughs> over from almost being blown up by them and uh, yeah. uh, them destroying all technology with their m- wide—we we even mentioned also that, like, the anti-technology folks sent out a virus— Across the universe, that like knocks out all technology that it can interface with, so like everything gets destroyed technologically. And we find out what we'll find out about that later in the story. Kern survives because she's part. Uh, she's blended with the the machine. Yeah. Um but you know Kern like has a specific reason for not wanting humans to land on this planet. She thinks humans are awful, just like straight up horrible. Like me, Kern and I, we agree <laughs> on this topic, and so both
1: think that that the the humans can can stuff it, right? Yeah. And so they try to see what they can do. They're they're you know, they're considering their options. Can they try to fight this satellite? But the thing is, it's so much more technologically advanced that doesn't seem like a good idea. And uh, mm-hmm. so, what what are we gonna what what level of granularity do you want to get down to here? They do eventually. She so Kern wants them to go check out this other planet. Like, hey, can't come to my planet, mm-hmm. but here's this other one that should have been terraformed. Go to that one. And we should point out about these uh, space dwellers here these these space refugees. They've been doing the in and out of cryosleep kind of thing. And the perspective we get from that ship is a dude named Holston who we keep you know being like reintroduced to in in, in him being like wrestled out of cryosleep and not knowing <laughs> where he is or who the people are or what gener- and there are also people um who have been just maintaining the ship like not everybody can go to cryosleep obviously the, I think the cryosleep is kind of reserved for like the higher ups right or like peop- important people because I think well, there's yeah, a... it, it gets complicated. Right? Yeah. I <laughs> think originally, it was everybody. A bit of a class battle about that later. But I, I could be misremembering. But anyway, point is, this guy keeps getting woken back up, doesn't know where he is. And uh, so that's that's been kind of the dynamic on the ship. And there are eventually there become like generations of, you know, people who have just grown up, lived and died and, you know, had kids and their kids lived and died on the ship during the mm-hmm. time that like other people are just like peacefully sleeping away kind of thing and there becomes a real difference in the uh in the knowledge and all that kind of stuff but that's for later but anyway so they are really not wanting to go mm-hmm. to this other planet cuz that means they have to do a whole nother thingy it's, it's out of the way <laughs> so what's <laughs> it's the a first long trip, plan you know yeah what's the first plan they come up with
0: well so the first they they will, I mean, they, they're going to try to go to the planet. Kern says no. So what they end up deciding is they're going to go to the other planet, but they're going to leave some folks behind on one of the moons in this solar system with right. Kern as like a, a base that they can claim, you know, like they plant, you know, you got to have a flag, right? It's an important rule. Well, I think so the, they're going to put a flag. Yeah,
1: I think the captain is like, look, we're the last humans out here. Like they're, mm-hmm. per- I think they think, so what happened on earth? Because I'm pretty sure he thinks this is about the survival of the, Whole species. So he says... Yeah, I think the impression is that, like, Earth is dying
0: and, like, yeah. is still embroiled in various wars and, like, is full of, like, disease from the ancients, leaving a bunch of waste behind and such.
1: Oh, okay. I thought it was just venereal disease. Just trying. No. Um, yeah, no, so, I think it's a, uh, you know, <laughs> standard so he, Wally he is scenario. He's taking the approach of, like, the, this, we're the last human, so we're going to diversify here. I know it sucks, but, like, here, a few of you are going to go live on a moon forever and probably die there. Mm-hmm. And they're not too happy about that
0: no no we get a mutiny so one of the one of the stories of holston is holston waking up in the midst of a, a mutiny where he's immediately taken hostage along with his um, sort of romantic partner slash the head engineer of the ship um they're not, par- they're not partners at this point yet, but, right, they get captured. And this, what ha- this is where uh, there's a brief direct interaction between the humans and the spiders because the mutineers uh, take a shuttle and head for Kern's world and avoid getting destroyed by Kern and l- crash land on the planet and, like, are there for a second before the other humans are allowed by Kern to come down and capture those humans because they don't want, she doesn't want the world being corrupted by human beings and that's where in the previous episode we talked about the spiders capturing yeah. a human at one point that's uh, how that happened we can
1: all agree in terms of who you don't want to be in this <laughs> universe it's that poor human that gets stuck <laughs> oh, on spider God. planet and yeah. just dies as a zoo exhibit because they can't figure out what this person needs to live
0: yep yep not a not a great scenario Um, so once they get those people, they set the folks down on the moon. But can I, uh, sorry, (laughs)
1: just, I thought it was a really interesting, good uh, thing Mm -hmm. in the book that, well, I'm sure this is not like original to this book, but I just thought it was cool how it was like, you've been introduced and you've been getting to know and going through this journey with these uh, different Porsches Mm -hmm. and Biancas and all that. And they are like the intelligent beings, you know, and you're like, oh, this is all they're thinking. This is what they're doing. And then, the way it's described that he, some animal landed on the planet, you know, and it's like mm-hmm, it doesn't really mm-hmm. can't talk. It's kind of dumb. It just scrambles around. It's pointing at its like midsection or something, you know, like and and you're it, it, the way it's described is just, like so horrifying. Of like, yeah, I guess from that perspective, mm-hmm. this human is just some like stupid animal that's gonna die in their care. Well, yeah, it's a very much of like uh, you know, what is it like to be a bat scenario in the
0: sense that. It, the there's such an alienness sort right, of a gap between the species that, like, you can really see how the humans on those shuttles seeing a bunch of giant spiders coming towards them would be incredibly horrified, and, like, reasonably so, and at the same time, like, the spiders would find the human beings sort of utterly repellent and alien. Um, and so, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's fun to see sort of both sides of that experience, and you get a lot of that in Children of Rune. There's a lot of um a lot of very alien psychology going on.
1: Nice, going to have to check that out.
0: S- yeah, absolutely. So, right, so they drop the mutineers on the moon, um which spoiler doesn't go well for them as predicted. Um and then they set off for the other terraformed planet, um which didn't also go well for them.
1: <laughs> when is something going to go well in
0: this <laughs> book? I mean, There's not a lot of things going well I mean, for goes humans well which for again, spiders. I enjoy. Yeah. yeah, no, that's true. It pretty much is all up and up for spiders in this one.
1: Yeah, the heroic, like, um, you know, overcoming stuff and, like, accomplishing stuff, that's all saved for the spiders. Now, not to say that everything goes well in the spider society, because it doesn't, but, like, this, the stories of the humans is mostly like, oh, my God, one thing going wrong after the next, and they can't do anything about it, and... Ah, we're back you know to cryosleep. Bunch more of us died, and then the spiders are like these triumphant stories of like how how oh they learn to work together and solve problems. It's kind of cool. On um on Kern's world, there would necessarily be
0: uh, a female Joseph Campbell who tells Portia's story as the archetypal story of all spiders attempting to to rise up and achieve their full personhood. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The uh, uh, hero with a thousand eyes, a thousand legs. How would we? Something along that line. Both. (laughs) That's right. Hero with a thousand many things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So they head off for the other terraform planet, which they find out uh, didn't go well because of the um, electric virus that I told you about, where... Um, it's spread out here, and like shut down the terraforming station mid-process. Everybody involved died because you can't really live in space without technology. Um, and this is, what, this is where we get one of the, I think, the funnier parts of the story, actually, which is the the partially terraformed world is entirely covered by a giant fungus. It is
1: fungus world. You're gonna have to tell me about fungus world. I'm I don't have a strong memory. You don't really of remember this. it. Yeah. Fungus World to me was, it was so funny. I mean, just like it's described as
0: this, again, a very alien landscape of like giant spore towers wow. and like huge clumps of gray fungus and stuff just growing everywhere. And like it looks like it has like land masses and things, but they're really
1: just different shaped pieces of fungus and stuff. <laughs> um, so that's it's not super work. funny. Unless you're yeah. like, you know, the Mario Brothers, maybe they could have left them there.
0: But I love, I love in the choice between: Do we try to fight a highly advanced
1: human (laughs) satellite? Terrifying. By the way, the spiders are huge too. They're not normal sized spiders. (laughs)
0: Right, right, right. Try to burn out a world's worth of intelligent spiders.
1: Razor blade, (laughs) uh, metal like, outfitted Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. giant Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. death spiders or fungus world. (laughs) One
0: fungus boy,
1: just one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Do not screw with mitochlor mito mitochlor- uh, what are they
1: called mitochlorians mid- mid- no are, no mitochondria no not mitochondria what are they mito- called uh,
0: I don't know mit- mito there's, there's some technical term for oh, fungus okay. anyway fungus boys the best <laughs> just you look at a whole planet of fungus and you're like nope. Nope, just can't. can't yeah, do I take anything it it's like that. I don't
1: know. There's no oxygen or something. I mean, there's right, obviously probably it's terraforming not, yeah, issues. Yeah, they, when you didn't finish the terraforming process, I'm guessing it's, it's less about mm. the fungus and more about the lack of anything for them to live on. I think. I like to think that you just look at the fungus <laughs> boy and you're like, nope. It's like it's like the Rick and Morty where it's like everything's on the cob. It's like that situation. It's all cob. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so they salvage what they can from this ship and again like it took them a really long time to get here i think we re- really do want to reiterate mm-hmm. the the epic time scale that's going right. on while the you know the spiders are evolving generationally over and over and over like these humans there's a bunch of them in the cryo sleep and the sh- like the ship is slowly failing so they're repeatedly like. Basically what happens is on the ship, the leader, uh, Gaian, um, gets more older and paranoid as, mm. like, the thing is falling apart and he feels compelled to, like, keep it together himself. And so he creates a race of humans on the ship whose job it is to maintain the ship and also worship him as a right? god. Yeah, yeah, he creates he cre- a cult. Yep, there's <laughs> absolutely like, a ship cult. He's like,
1: I know, there's a tool for every job. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Can't use a hammer or screwdriver. There's, I know. Create an entire cult of people who live and die on the ship believing what I yep. want them to believe. That's the tool yep. for this job.
0: Yeah, no, he goes full Wonka piercer. Um and he tries to upload himself.
1: So yeah. at least well, in mind op- is yeah. remember that thing about the ancient technology and the fact mm-hmm. that they don't really know how it works. And and I I believe that um Hul- uh Holst no, damn it, what's the guy's name again? I keep losing it. The, yeah, Holston. It is Holston. Oh yeah, sorry. I believe that Holston is – his main role is like historian, kind of ancient mm-hmm. civilization expert. So he, he has some know-how, and that's why he's um, pretty important. But the whole thing with the with the captain guy who wants to – um, uh, mm-hmm. no, who's – which guy's Holston? Wakes up – which is the Col- – Hol- Holston is the okay, um, sorry.
0: anthropologist. Right, yeah, Guyon is the captain. And
1: so the whole thing with Guyon, the captain, uh is that he – do, they find this machine that they think is like, okay, we think this part of the ship is somehow for uploading consciousness, maybe. But they, it's all theoretical. Mm-hmm. They don't actually know for sure because of this, like, inaccessible, you know, ancient technology.
0: Yeah, they basically take the equipment set up from Jim Carrey's um, Riddler and <laughs> steal it from the ancients and plug it into the the uh, ship and... And he basically, like, thinks that he's going to upload himself and become the god in the machine and control the ship and bring it to its final destination. Um, Yeah, and so Holston and his um, partner, Lane, uh, who's the female chief engineer, uh, conspire and uh, prevent that, try to prevent that from happening. But it actually sort of, like, somewhat happens, and he ends, like, they end up with weird copies of Gaian inside the machine. Yeah. Uh, There's so much, there's so much good transhumanism in this. So you've got, so you now have on the ship, right, a cult of weird sort of, slightly human uh engineer people whose job it is to like live on the ship and keep it up keep it afloat essentially. Um and then you have the the original crew who've been kept in these stasis pods over and over again. Um and now you have an uploaded weirdly copying ghost in the machine consciousness. So yeah, that's that's what's going on
1: for the humans. Yep. It's going really great. Yeah. You know, that about sums it up. <laughs> and they at this point they and turn by the around. Way, they get back yeah. Finally, to Kern around Kern and the people on the moon colony all died. <laughs> everybody's
0: dead. So that yeah. didn't work. So for sure, everybody's dead. Um, and that'll bring us to our wonderful climax of the story, which isn't for me probably. It is. It is to. that is for me what um, Anathem's ending was for Noah. It yeah. is, I think, may, you know, maybe the strongest. And what I realized actually, as I was rereading Children of Time. Children of Time is very, very similar to Anathem as a plot. If you actually really? look at it, there is a lot of weird similarities. Yep. Cultures that are built on the ruins of ancient, more technologically advanced uh, civilizations. And and specifically in the climax, I will. I don't want to give it away because we're going to talk about it next time. But remind me next time when we'll talk about how it really is a very, very similar story to the ending of Anathem. Huh. So I think we should talk some philosophy then, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think uh, that that should—we've so done 20 minutes of exposition, so I think we should I think do we've, with I think 20 minutes it. of philosophy,
0: yeah. There's a lot of good content in this book. Um, so, yeah, so this time I want to talk about— uh, something that I teased actually back when we did the episode Uploaded, the television show, which is, you know, we talked some in that episode about the way that things could not go well, right? Could mm-hmm. go poorly when it comes to uploading of human consciousness. Um, And I wanted to dive a little bit more into that, given that I think this book gives us two really wonderful examples of sort of the way that Human upload hybridization with uh, computers could go very, very poorly. Um, and I want to context. I want to put this in the context of talking about a kind of technology that I first read about when I was working on superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, which is it's it's, it's called neuromorphic types hmm. of technology. And so, what neuromorphic technically just means is any system that attempts to mimic biological functionality in some kind of way. So it tries to essentially mimic what our brain does. Right Um, Now, as far as I can tell, this term is used to refer both to software that mimics our brain in various ways and pieces of hardware that mimic our brain in various Mm. ways. Um, So
1: So is that like the distinction between, on Mm -hmm. one hand, you can hypothetically build uh you know I can I can Mm -hmm. build a Mac by getting all the Mac parts and running the OS or I can maybe use one of those like VR whatever they're called, those little things where you can like run the Mac software on your PC even though you Mm -hmm. don't have the underlying uh hardware. Is it like that kind of (laughs) distinction? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, right. So, you can think of this in like two kinds of examples, right? So, one would be a situation where we try to build like a computer chip that mimics the physical structure of neurons in some mm-hmm. way that is meaningfully that meaningfully increases the computational capacity. It feels like from we're a nowhere near chip. that, right? Like, well, there, there are people who are working on this. There's a lot of money being poured into it. There are a lot of much smarter people than me doing it, you know, work, trying yeah. to see if it's so like something it is still, I think in the very theoretical hypothetical, like we're, we're beginning to like create things that act a little bit like neurons in some ways that are interesting and useful. Right. Maybe, but like it's still nowhere near like large scale application. Well, and and um, I j-
1: the only reason I mention it is like from my understanding mm-hmm. of reading, you know, so, uh, some amount of this philosophy and and work like this is the brain is really mm-hmm. not like a computer at all. <laughs> like it's I know that's yeah. always the analogy. I mean, I guess at at some level I think you know everything is computation or whatever. Like somehow it'll it could all even out in the end. But like. Physically, the way that it, our brain is is works is really not at all like the computers we have made work.
0: Right, especially in this way that like computers are generally speaking deterministic in a way where our brain is not. Like I, you know, you know that I believe that on a level we're all deterministic. But like part of the goal with trying to make these neuromorphic um, machines is that. They try to achieve not just higher levels of computation, broadly speaking, but greater flexibility with the way that the system can respond to circumstances. Much like Kern, when when she uploads her consciousness, it's supposed to make the computer better able to, you know, parse out um, when it should wake her back up or something like that. Right. Um, and we'll see versions of that actually when we get to um, We Are Legion, We Are Bob, which is a, like the, the the like doesn't fail version of this idea in a lot of ways, um, but. Uh, yeah, I want to sort of set aside a little bit the hardware version of this because, A, I don't feel like I'm I'm nearly well versed enough on the hardware to understand how reliable mm-hmm. or like whether it's actually going to become useful and like focus on the software version, which is the like neural nets or sort of, you know, a, on a much more advanced level. What Bostrom argues is that on the path towards fully uploaded uh, whole brain emulation, as we've talked about before, right, you're going to go through a period of neuromorphic where you're going to create computer entities, software that um mimics my you know mimics the substrates or mimics the nature of neurons in various ways but isn't like a perfect replication of it mm-hmm. and he's particularly concerned about what happens during that phase and i think that's a very reasonable thing to be concerned about um, now I should actually mention one more thing um, as a good historic reference for the hardware version, and then I'll leave the hardware version off. Is in the Chinese Room paper that we talked about way back when when we did that that paper and yeah. um, Ex Machina, right? Um, he gives an example of a uh, classic example of what I would think of as neuromorphic hardware which he says imagine the Chinese room done as a series of really complicated water pipes where you turn on off and on the water pipes based on the signal and the water pipes sort of mimic the behavior of neurons in the brain and the shifting of those water pipes eventually gives you your answer right mm-hmm. and he then goes on to explain why that would not be a why, why we shouldn't reasonably then assume that that version of the Chinese Room has sentience, right? Has phenomenal consciousness or oh, right. understands the meaning of its I concepts. I
1: mean, is that essentially substrate chauvinism then?
0: Well, so not necessarily, right? So uh, what he's saying is it the physical, so, so the, the, The structural design of the neurons is neither necessary nor sufficient as a condition for consciousness, is the way that I think we would want to put this, um, because what really matters is the causal capacities of the system. And the causal capacities of the system could be instantiated in a variety of things, including things that do not mimic our neurons in any way. Um,
1: And so So, we wouldn't want to isn't yeah. that the opposite of what you're saying? I thought you were saying. I thought he was. Maybe I misunderstood. Was he saying? Yeah, okay. okay. Imagine. Was this like a some sort of reductio ad absurdum or what? Or not? Not maybe that's the wrong word. But okay. The mm-hmm. argument against the Chinese room, as in the room having any understanding of what it's doing, is imagine mm-hmm. if it was all just a series of tubes, <laughs> a series right. of water pipes. <laughs> of course, it wouldn't understand. Which strikes me as like not necessarily a great argument. But what am I well, missing?
0: So- so, so the so he's responding here to an objection which says, "Oh well, the room is too simple." But imagine if we so it, this is literally the, I think he calls it the the whole brain emulation response to the Chinese room is to say, "Well, imagine if the room took the form of a physical copy of our brain in some mm-hmm. sort of artificial substrate." Right, if it was literally, you know, uh, in some, uh, not can't can't be literally because then it would just be a brain, but like you know, if it was in some way a physical instantiation of the same kinds of neuron inputs and outputs, then we we could infer the uh, the objection goes that this thing understands Chinese in the way that we understand it, and what Cyril uh. wants to say is no, we can't because there's no necessary connection between that particular arrangement of physical structures in the neuron-like arrangement and the actual existence of the understanding and meaning that we experience as sentient beings. It could be there, but we don't have a good reason to just infer that it is there merely because we have copied, we have created a reasonable facsimile of that physical substrate.
1: Yeah, but like, what Mm -hmm. else... (laughs) So, is it, do we have to put the magic potion on it? Yeah. Like, what is well, well, what's going to be the thing I mean, that takes us from? You know, we could say the same thing about when I have a kid. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, mm-hmm. I see that it has a brain, and you know the configuration that our brains are. But I, who's who's to say that's enough for this kid to have consciousness? I don't know. Like, we've if you've recreated right. the brain, yeah, no, you know?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that there's a right answer to this question. There isn't one. I'm. I'm simply saying that. Um, in attempts to try to provide an alternative thing to observe besides the actual mind, which I agree with you, we can't directly observe. People have put forward this sort of physical substrate okay. copying model, and I'm just saying I don't think that's adequate. I don't. I don't think there is a way huh. to confirm consciousness. You know that. Like I yeah. think there is no, no agree, there is no sufficient I... test of sentience. Um, so so basically all I wanted all I wanted to point out here was that like. Um, you know the fit there there is the there are these sort of traditional examples of the physical neuromorphic system, but I think generally speaking the idea of a computer program rather than the hardware copying the the way that neurons fire is maybe the more interesting place to go to talk about this stuff if that makes sense yeah sure, okay, great so yeah, so um. So then if we're talking about these systems, right, the goal here, uh, and you see this um, in in neural nets is an example of this right now in software, Um, as I said, you're trying to sort of mimic the mind's ability to to compute a lot of information, to do it sort of fairly quickly and with low energy needs, and to be fairly flexible um, in doing so. And if we think about this as we get it in the book, which is an attempt to um, upload, individuals into a kind of software, we can think about the kinds of sort of potential advantages that we would be trying to achieve, uh, the main ones being, like I said, um, the flexibility of the human mind, but also its ability to import uh, to, to import Um, understanding of value. So, right, one of the things we've talked about before, which is the alignment problem where we're trying to figure out how to get the AIs to do what we want them to do without murdering all of us, right? Uh, It's very hard to program the AI to be ethical from the ground up. And so some folks have thought that if we could just get this the software to mimic a human mind then it would come preloaded with moral intuitions and a valuing of human beings or at least be like Yeah, cuz we all know to, humans to, to are super moral. Well, you know, <laughs> right? I mean in in the sen- in the same sense that human beings are at least like Aristotle would say uh neither good by nature nor bad by nature but made good by habit, right? We could make the AI at least good by habit if it was beginning with a baseline of a human-like mind or something.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I just like the idea <laughs> I that, mean, like, imagine yeah. if you said, we're going to take a random human and give them super duper power, like this AI, mm-hmm. you know, nightmare powers, like just super powerful, whatever. Would you be sitting there feeling like, oh, good, well, I'm sure that'll work out. Well, <laughs> no, I think this is a horrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I, you
0: know, I, it's my job to tell you why these people think that it's a good idea before yeah. I explain why I think it's. And oh, like okay. Bostrom also <laughs> thinks that it's a horrible idea because it seems like there's a very high risk that these. Um, neuromorphic systems would be you know to quote um, young frankenstein abby normal right i don't know if we're still still allowed to do the abby normal joke or is that i don't know if that's ableist at this point but um anyway right abby normal ai is our concern here right an ai that somewhat in some ways maybe mimics parts of human cognition but doesn't do it in any kind of consistent reliable way because again we're not fully understanding the system and being able to copy something doesn't require really understanding it it seems like in the same way that like building it from the ground up might and so there's a concern that like we could make a photocopy of our neurons in software form right in a much easier way than we could build you know a a uh, an AI that like we fully understand and that we think fully understands ethics. And the result would be something like what we get in the book where the AI yeah. try to murder all the human beings because they're, you know, halfway
1: insane and think that, um you know, human beings are evil. So I think this is a terrible idea. I'm right with you I, because mm-hmm. I've always wondered, I think I've kind of said it before, but I wonder, you know, I don't, I think in so many of these things, we can't help but putting our, minds in the place of the super ai we're making like what would Mm -hmm. it mean let's say we make ai you know whatever tomorrow or whenever this is and it's super powerful all that stuff but like it doesn't need to eat it doesn't need to have sex to reproduce it doesn't Mm -hmm. have like yeah it wouldn't have any fear like instinctual fear of things for you know because of evolutionary you know uh, all our history of like predators and all the stuff we, have, it's not going to have all of that baggage that I think often leads humans to being terrible. So like, I mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. I'm maybe not as scared of this as a lot of people are now. I'm not saying it's impossible that it goes wrong. Like, of course there's some way that, you know, that I, I think that goes both ways. Like on, on one hand, I don't think it's going to be predisposed to being like a murder robot for no reason. Cause what is it mm-hmm. in it for? But it, maybe it could be easy for it to somehow, Pick up a goal or have an g- unintentional goal that, and it, and it's not mm. gonna, it's not gonna re-examine that unless we, you know, do a lot of work. It's not gonna be like, hmm, should I really do this thing that I've decided I should do, which is turn all the humans into clips? You know, like <laughs> it'll just do it. Yeah. So, but, but I'm, I'm really not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I don't think a being that doesn't have all of our evolutionary baggage is going to have a lot of these bad instincts that we're worried about.
0: Well, I, I totally agree with you uh, in that I think there's no reason to assume that the AI would retain or continue to find meaning in whatever kinds of human motivations it might've had prior or something like that or whatever, whatever like entities, you know, like they was trying to copy if it had human motivations. I totally agree with you that like, even if we could copy a particular individual with a like sufficient degree of fidelity to know that like they're going in there, I still think that as soon as they're in there, Their nature as an uploaded entity would radically alter their preferences and desires substantially. So it's not like you're getting any kind of higher predictability here, it seems to me. Um, What you're getting is a real big roll of the dice with not a lot of clear upshot, it seems like. Um, So, yeah, so I don't think you, you, you can assume human motives. Though I agree with you, you can't necessarily assume, like immoral motives or something it may just have really weird or alien motives or it may have no motives at all like i I just don't think you can assume much of anything about how any of this works so another concern that you see in the book is the fear of like what if it retains some weird desire for survival that leads to it being a kind of virus that sort of constantly permeates through the ship and um you know you can't get rid yeah. of it and and like it's damaging things and sucking up resources like essentially to me it seems like you have a high likelihood of getting the worst of both worlds here where you're getting like all the danger of a, a super intelligent AI combined with like all the unpredictability of um biological behavior <laughs> yeah. you know yeah so and and i think Bostrom makes a really good point about this where he says that like be given the high likelihood that our trip towards uploading, you know, whole brain emulation kinds of cognition, uh, or superintelligence, is going to go via the route of these abnormal neuromorphic AIs. We you know and in a sense like even if uploading was the best option we could argue because it would be us living forever in a virtual world or something like that right in trying to achieve that best option we end up with what he thinks is basically the worst option right with going through these these really bad ais whereas if we go for the second best option which is the synthetic ai where we build it as an ai from the ground up It has a much higher likelihood of success, basically. So that's why and I agree with him about this. I think we should be focused much more heavily on synthetic AI and perfecting that with the hope that a super intelligent, synthetic, benevolent AI would then help us solve the uh, uploading problem while avoiding a period of badness. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So yeah, we got the issues of potential rampant proliferation, um, and of course, like we also have ethical questions about the you know from the neuromorphic AIs perspective, is this thing sentient? Does it suffer? How do we know? Are we accidentally creating something that's just like you know is literally the story? You know, I can I I have no mouth and must scream, um, and like, does it have rights? Do we you know mm. how how? What is it? What kind of the like mix of technology and, um, you know, if it mimics a mind effectively, are we effectively going to end up having to give it rights? I think is another question that shows up here.
1: Yeah. I, so this is, and again, we're, this is all mm-hmm. talking about trying to upload people going that direction. We're still on that. Well, yeah. So it's kind
0: or? of, it's a mix of, I, I don't know how much you, You might actually argue, I think, that the line between upload and neuromorphic may be blurry, right? If I create a perfect copy of you in the AI, it's essentially like uploading you. And this actually, we we can talk about this again when we talk about the video game Soma. Um, Like, it doesn't feel from your first-person perspective like you've gotten to escape into the upload. But you are, uh, there is a version of you that is getting to live
1: forever in the virtual world. Yeah, it's so weird to think about. <laughs> it does get really, always, really, weird. I've always wondered, you know, like it. That's why the transporter in Star Trek mm-hmm. definitely just kills you and makes you a new person, right? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And, and
0: <laughs> we're totally getting a ship of Theseus, like literally two ships mm-hmm. of Theseus in this book, right? They're both ships and they both go through a weird transitional experience where it's not clear where their boundaries of personhood begin and end. And another interesting question to add to this discussion, does it make a difference, as, as is always a question with Ships of Theseus, does the rate of change make a difference? Yeah. Is the the rapid upload of Gaian into the system a fundamentally different thing to care about rather than the slow descent of Kern into the machine over millennia?
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because like I still don't know how that Kern transformation mm-hmm. took place because on one hand kern just went to sleep right but like mm-hmm. on the other hand yeah so i don't know i don't know if that's a and slow if her body process
0: degrades, pers- i think like the machine took over the role that her body oh, was right. playing essentially oh yeah it,
1: is, yeah it is a ship of theseus uh you're right yeah, yeah.
0: for sure Interesting. she she melds with the satellite essentially and then eventually she melds <laughs> 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 with the ant colony which yeah, is oh best God, the best ship of theseus of all time <laughs> it's the
1: best that ending um, is truly great
0: yeah and 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 by the end of this story we start to get hints of the future technology of the spider people involving Kern-based programs in, um, in ant colonies running ships, right? We get that balloon sequence where they... Go to try to well, I guess I guess at that point they they are a traditional ant colony. They haven't become Kern ant colonies yet, mm. um, but they use the Kern ants or they they use their ant colonies to to run their balloon that they use to fly up into space and and uh, interact with Kern while it's still up in the air.
1: Yeah, oh, and so then later,
0: yeah, you get you get more of that a lot more of that in the second book, which is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I love this idea. Uh, I mean, like it, it's completely like absurd the way kern's story goes but as like a playing out of the neuromorphic um hypothetical i think it is um by far the most interesting of any of the ones i've seen
1: so from what you've said i uh Mm -hmm. really am in favor of trying to make ai rather than doing these uploads that could turn into a weird frankenstein uh monster Mm -hmm
0: unless we do it with with um with ants. I'm okay yeah, with the no, that ant fine. based. Yeah, it's fine.
1: <laughs> the ant exception in the bylaws is is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And
0: it is, I mean, it's a challenging question because even when Kern is merged with the ants at the end, it still retains some of Kern's Kernness. It has this kind of angry, bitter, yeah, confrontational, super genius personality. Um and I just think that that's super it is a it is a really cool idea. I think in reality, we're like nowhere, anywhere remotely close to this. So I'm not like, no, we super don't have enough ants worried about it yet. We need, no, we need a lot build. more ants.
1: <laughs> Actually, I don't know if we, we, there's a lot of ants on this planet. <laughs> there are, we need at least 1 million ants. I think maybe ants already are a conscious, uh, superstructure or whatever. <laughs> Who
0: knows? Um, but I also, I, I should, I should end with a note because I imagine some technical, minded folks might be like this is all a horrible misrepresentation of this technology like there are very normalized versions of neuromorphic like like i said neural nets themselves are not like an, a weird or sort of light prone to cause a bunch of problems kind of thing they are i think actually a very interesting useful piece of software technology that does in, in interesting ways mimic human neurons in a way that allows them to solve really complicated problems in very flexible ways. You have to program them with mass amounts of data. Um, But I think there is like deep neural nets, I think are going to be pretty important
1: going forward. All right. Well, yeah, I, uh, I still go, you know, what I go back and forth on is if we create, you know, AI, like powerful AI, Mm -hmm. that you would think like, Oh, maybe this is conscious or whatever. And then go back to my thing earlier about, I still wonder what is it like to have a consciousness have any sort of identity without all these evolutionary needs and and instincts that we have like and mm-hmm. then i think can you even and and the reason i i say mention this again is you asked like oh what should have rights should they have rights and i know i think you were talking more about uploads and it, i think uploads should have rights because if you you know if, mm-hmm. if if you have rights and we upload you to a different format <laughs> to a different substrate i think we should assume you have rights, unless we could mm-hmm. like prove that you shouldn't for some reason. Um, uh, so the the burden of proof should be strongly on the side of taking away right, you know, against taking away rights. But when it comes to like creating AI, I was I was thinking like, well, again, apart from all these needs from from need need to reproduce, from feeling pain, from needing food or water, like all these needs, you know, I don't I don't see how, I I don't really even know how a, a AI could suffer really you know like unless the you're somehow programming in like a like a pain function or something and then i guess cuz for me when you talk about like should this thing have rights or whatever it to mm-hmm. me it really seems dependent upon like are they capable of suffering like that cuz like again we don't think our computers right now my you know my uh, my my phone we don't really think those should have rights they just do a function there's no we don't think they're like suffering or whatever but the minute you're like well mm-hmm. your phone actually feels pain <laughs> and it's <Right>. uh, <laughs> Especially when it looks at your browsing history and, uh, you know, like then, then, then instantly it would be kind of a horrifying thing.
0: Yes. And I, I think this is a a really tricky question and it involves again, just trying to like where we're still stuck trying to understand what phenomenal consciousness is, um, it seems to me – so so I, I read a paper that I thought was really decent on this that gets as close as I think to sort of giving me a picture of what it would look like to create phenomenal consciousness in artificial entities, which to me is the precursor to creating what you're describing, these kind of yeah. complex experiences of suffering. Um, and what it really seems to involve is a highly reflective um, system of, uh, you know – I don't know how to describe this. Individual modules. (laughs) Right? Like no, just like a like a like um essentially thinking of the like think of the like human psychology, like the id, the ego, and the super ego, and then like functionalizing those into, you know, the operating system and then like a low level like desire and reactionary system. Like different another way to think about it is like putting different parts of the triune brain that we have into it. So it has like fight or flight mechanisms in there which um, take the form of um you know really fast stimulus responses to certain kinds of stimulus and and what they essentially argue is that if you have enough reflexivity if it's enough of like the metacognitive functions can look at the other systems mm. and can be influenced by the other systems so like there's enough interaction between all of these like internal systems that that would effectively be as close as, you know, like, indistinguishable yeah. from phenomenal consciousness, right? And it's it's really, really tricky in my head. I, I really struggle with this because it, are we then just saying that, like, the illusionists end up all being right and, like, the functionalists all end up being right? Because if you have <laughs> sort of got enough internal, functional, causal interaction, then, like, that is all there is to the, you know, the guy sitting inside of the Cartesian theater inside of all of our heads, right? <laughs> Um, but I don't know I I really don't know because I could also really genuinely imagine that you could have a system like that that does all of that internal reflexivity stuff and still isn't like there's still nobody experiencing it right there's still no one for whom it's like to be that machine experiencing all of that reflexive cognitive behavior
1: it's a hard problem it's so hard it's (laughs) the hardest I need Portia to help me with it (laughs) Like, uh, like she's helping you with your golf swing, you know, like come behind <laughs> yeah, you with the exactly. hips. Like, nah, you see, you gotta... Yeah, They're very good at golf. They have a lot of legs. <laughs> That's it's true. very easy for them. Yeah, spider golf. You know, we didn't get... There weren't any sports, you know? Like, it's a whole... Well, well, <laughs> well <laughs> let's save these hun- ramblings for after Hunting men. There was hunting dark. men. Yeah. <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, we're out of time. Uh, but, you know, we, we it's nice having that bonus length show because of our fine, fine patrons over on patreon.com mm-hmm. slash zero G and uh that's a good transition because you already know what we're talking about next week it's uh part 3 part the final part uh of this amazing children of time book yeah and, and we're going to talk about children,
0: children children of man time um we're going to talk about the the story's solution to the kinds of game theory problems that we've mm. talked about in several episodes and the idea of empathy, which uh, I, as often gets a bad rap, I feel like. And I think you and I both feel that it is a, a
1: valuable por- part of uh, the ethical landscape. So we'll talk about that some. Awesome. And let's see what our top patrons over on Patreon.com slash zero G are going to make you say this time.
0: Yeah, thanks to our uh, strong AI patrons. Big Easy Blasphemy. Andrew Seidel's butt made a plan for how to vote. You should too. Go to (laughs) vote.org. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Twitter gives the best legal advice. Uh Winchesters never die. Ewan, Ian, Owen, Aaron, Aaron. (laughs) Dude, Corey Ebert. If you still have an income, make sure your podcasters do too. Jesse Urbinowitz and Brenda Goodman. The coronavirus apocalypse is making me too depressed to think of anything clever this week. I feel you. Fair. Anathem episodes are my favorite episodes. Dune episodes are a close second. Chad T. <laughs> is that just you? <laughs> it's just me. I'm just pledging yeah. to the show at this point. Yep. Um, Chad T. And And all the thanks to our top tier, definitely pretty sure... Mostly not neuromorphic clone patrons, Roland Pooley, Sam Buck, and No Commute So Behind on Podcast. And I just want to add, I just want to add, keep an eye out. There's going to be some changes to our Patreon yeah. here soon. So look out for that. We're I just really love that
1: how, with the what our patron tier names are, their circuits must have <laughs> been tingling this episode, you know, strong AI yep. and all that, like yep. stuff we're talking about.
0: <laughs> yep. No, we're full transhumanist. We just need somebody to um, bump up to the Queez Arts Hatterack level in oh, time man. for the, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the um, Quidditch Haberdash level. Nah, for, for me, B- I, it's Queezart
1: Hatterack for me. Yeah. It's, uh, somebody yeah. should get at that level. That'd be cool. You'd be mm-hmm. the Quiz and Art Hatterack.
0: <laughs> yeah. You could control our Dune content as we do
1: ten or twelve episodes on it. <laughs> it just turns into all Dune, like just a <laughs> it's Dune, just the cast. Dune show. <laughs> It is show. It is all legend. right. Well, we're gonna hop over to the After Dark for our patrons. For everybody else, we'll see you next week. But uh, you know, you should you should come join. It's fun. But uh, yeah, see you next time. <laughs>
0: has been a burst transmission of philosophers in space all music written and performed by thomas smith if you've enjoyed your infotainment upload please locate the nearest podcast interface device and fill it with five-star ratings and glowing reviews if you think ground control should spring for fun new goodies and content consider supporting us at patreon.com slash zero g you can find us on Twitter at Zero G Philosophy, where Aaron will instantly and compulsively respond. Or you can email us at philosophersinspace at gmail.com. Finally, if you're sad that it takes so long for our signals to reach Earth, you can always find Thomas over at Serious Inquiries Only and Opening Arguments, and Aaron over at Embrace the Void. Until next time, live long and philosopher.